0: Well, good evening. I'd like for us to turn this evening to the book of 1 Kings, in chapter 18. And we'll start reading in verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then, send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, and let them choose one ox for themselves, and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. It wasn't, but they thought it was. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped, literally limped, about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey. or Perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered. And no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. The water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water." At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel today, let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again." Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. When Satan tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden, his method of attack was to cast doubt on the goodness of God by casting doubt on the goodness of God's commands. You'll remember that God had placed Adam and Eve in a total paradise with every good thing to enjoy. It's not like they just had two or three trees that they could eat from. There was all kinds of trees, all kinds of variety, all kinds of food, all kinds of good things. There was just one thing that God told them not to do. One thing. And that was eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, of course, that is the point at which Satan attacked. Indeed, has God said... You surely will not die, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Translation, God's commandment is not just stupid, it's unloving. God is holding out on you. He knows that He is withholding something good from you by commanding you not to eat from that tree. Eat and be like God the temptation of our first parents was not really about eating some fruit. The temptation was about trusting God's character. Will I believe that God is good even when he withholds things from me? Will I trust that his commandments flow from a heart of love that is concerned about what's ultimately best for me And that when he tells me not to do something, it's only because it's for my good. Will I trust that? Will I trust him? That's the test. Of course, Adam and Eve did not. They doubted God's goodness. They became suspicious of the goodness of his commands. And they ate And when they did, the poison of sin entered the bloodstream of humanity. And every person born since has been infected with that same poison. We are born messed up. We are born twisted. We are wrong. We are corrupted by the poison of sin. And one obvious proof of that is that we manifest the same doubts and suspicions about God's character and His commandments as Adam and Eve did. And we do it all the time. God says, do this. And we say, no. I'm not going to do that. God says, don't do that. And we say, but I want to. And we do it anyway. And all the time we're telling God that we don't believe that He is good and we don't believe that His commandments are for our good. If we did, we would follow them. (laughs) But we don't believe that. We are born with this suspicion that God is holding out on us, that He's a wicked tyrant and not a loving Father, that His commandments are meant to crush our joy, not cause it to flourish. And we're wrong. But we continue to go our own way and do our own thing anyway. And we make ourselves miserable in the process. Because it does not take long before you find out that you cannot break the good and loving commandments of God without consequences. Genesis 3 Adam and Eve disobey God, Genesis 4 the world's first murder is committed. And things only get worse from there. If you don't believe me, read the book of Judges. The most wicked and depraved period in Israel's history was when everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. And they reaped the consequences of it. You cannot break the good and loving commandments of God without consequences. And we see that here in 1 Kings chapter 18. Look again at verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? And then Elijah replies, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. King Ahab was the king of Israel. He knew the commandments of the Lord, but he forsook them. He turned aside from them. Specifically, he forsook the commandments of God related to idolatry and serving false gods. Ahab broke the number one most important commandment. You'll remember that after God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he gave his laws to the people that he expected them to follow. And what was the very first thing he told them? He says this, Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The first commandment he gives them. You'll remember in the Gospels, a Jewish lawyer asks the Lord Jesus Christ, what the greatest commandment in the law is. And Jesus answers, with a quotation from the book of Deuteronomy, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. In other words, Jesus taught that the number one most important commandment was to love God and Him alone. Because if you're loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, you don't have any heart, soul, mind left to give to false gods. That's the point. The most important thing is to worship the one true God alone and to entertain no idols, no false gods in your life. King Ahab knew that, but he didn't care he forsook the Lord anyway in order to worship false gods. And what I want us to see tonight is that forsaking the Lord to worship false gods always has consequences. Always. Specifically, I want us to see that worshiping false gods is not simply wrong, it's misery. Because we often get the first, it's wrong. But we often don't see the second, that it's misery. It's death. I want us to see that God's commandments forbidding idolatry are not there because God is a tyrant who wants to crush our joy. God's commandments forbidding idolatry are there because God is good and because he desires what is best for us. And serving false gods only leads to misery. And don't think that this message doesn't apply to you because you're not going home at night and bowing down to a wooden statue. False gods can take many forms. Even in the book of 1 John in the New Testament, he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. But false gods can take many forms. The question is this, when you survey your life now, What is it that you are serving? What is it that you are giving your time, your money, your attention to? When no one else is around, what do you think about? Where does your mind just naturally gravitate towards? What has your heart? What has your heart? Because you can come here on Sunday morning and Wednesday night and you can go through the motions, but what has your heart, your affections, your joy? Whatever those things are, those are your gods. It may be money or the things that money can buy, it may be sensual pleasure, it may be your reputation and popularity. It may be youth and physical beauty. It can be many things. But if what has your heart is not God, then it is an idol. It is a false God. And continuing to serve it will only lead to misery. And I would submit to you tonight that we can see this reality illustrated for us here in 1 Kings 18 by considering these prophets of Baal that Elijah challenged. And the challenge was very simple. The prophets of Baal would prepare a sacrifice, an ox, call out to Baal to consume the sacrifice by fire. And Elijah would do the same, calling out to the God of Israel. And the God who answered by fire, either Baal or God, would be considered the true God. And let's pick up the story there in verse 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourselves, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us, hours long, morning until noon. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. There is a place for mockery in the Christian life. There is. Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried out with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. So it's not a pretty scene. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. And then it's Elijah's turn. And as you know, the story here Elijah calls out to God, and the Lord consumes Elijah's sacrifice with fire in a marvelously miraculous way. And then skip down to verse 39 When all the people saw it, the fire consumed. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And what we see here in these prophets of Baal is we see the consequences of turning away from the one true God to worship idols. What we see illustrated here is the misery of of serving false gods. And I want to briefly point out three ways that this misery manifests itself here through these prophets of Baal. First of all, serving false gods debases you. It debases people. It degrades and demeans you as a human being. Serving false gods demeans and degrades you. It makes you foolish and stupid. Serving false gods makes you do things that are beneath your dignity as a human being created in God's image. And I think we can see that here with these prophets of Baal. Look again at verse 26. They took the ox which was given them, they prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped about the altar which they made. When crying out to Baal didn't work, the prophets began to leap around the altar, literally limp around the altar. I have no idea what this would have looked like, for sure, but apparently this was some kind of ceremonial dance that the prophets of Baal would do as an act of worship to their false god. But limping around the altar because your God is deaf, is not dignifying. It's demeaning. It's stupid. It's beneath your dignity as a human being created in the image of God. It's pathetic. When National Geographic shows one of these videos of some demonic tribal dance in Africa and they try to pass it off like it's some beautiful thing, you ought to know better. There's nothing beautiful about people forcefully jerking their bodies around in the worship of some false god. It's degrading. It's foolish. And then here, when the limping around doesn't work, these prophets of Baal debased themselves even further. Verse 28, they cried out with a loud voice and cut themselves, according to their custom, with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. They take the physical body created by God and for God and they cut it and mutilate it in the service of their false God. But people today really aren't much different, are they? People worship the gods of youth and beauty to such an extent that they are willing to pay thousands of dollars to have their bodies continuously mutilated in the name of physical beauty. A little nip here. A tuck there. Surgery after surgery. Cut after cut. All in the service of their idols. And the prophets of Baal may have limped around that altar, but the youth of today have them beat in spades. Not only will young people today do the most idiotic, and debasing things in the service of the God-named popularity, but then they'll film it and post it on Facebook for the whole world to watch. Mm -hmm. Beloved, serving false gods debases people. It demeans them. It lowers them from the level they were created to be at, as people made in the image of God. Serving false gods debases you. Secondly, how is this misery of serving false gods manifested here in this account? Secondly, false gods abandon you when you need them most. Right? If there was ever a time when these poor prophets of Baal needed their idol to come through, it was now. This was the showdown of all showdowns. Right? This was Ali and Frazier right here for you boxing fans. But the only response from old Baal was the chirping of crickets in the background. Notice again, 26 to 29. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, hours, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. And then verse 28, so they cried out with a loud voice, cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, just hours of this, midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Period. Contrast that with Elijah's one cry for God to answer him. All he has to do is ask once, and the true God answers by fire. But the point here is that your false gods will always disappoint you. They will always abandon you when you need them most. Always. Serving the God of money pays dividends until the stock market crashes. There's pictures from the time of the stock market crash before the Great Depression of people throwing themselves out of the windows on Wall Street. Lost everything. Just like that. Gone. Serving the God of pleasure feels good until you turn into a junkie who is a slave to their next fix. That's happening all the time. Right here in Kirksville. Serving the god of popularity will make you the life of the party until all of your so-called friends kick you to the curb, which always happens. Yeah. False gods will always abandon you when you need them most. And Baal did that here. No, there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. And then lastly here, the third way that I think this account shows us that serving false gods leads to misery. Number three, serving false gods will lead to judgment. It always does. Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. Serving false gods will always lead to judgment. Always. That's the only outcome for idolatry. No matter your idol of choice, the end result is certain, a fearful expectation of judgment. That's it. Luke 19.27, Jesus says, These enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. See the parallel there? The one true God will not put up with idolatry Indefinitely. You won't. But if you're not a Christian here tonight, the big question is, why would you want to put up with idolatry at all? Why are you giving yourselves over to the service of false gods? Whether it's money, or beauty, or popularity, or pleasure, you've served them long enough to know that they only lead to misery. Throw those idols out and put your life into the hands of the one true God who will forgive all of your sins, clean you up, and put you on the path, not to judgment, the path to glory. Instead of debasing you, He exalts you. Instead of abandoning you, He promises to never leave you nor ever forsake you. Instead of leading you to judgment... He takes the judgment you deserve upon himself so that you will never come into judgment but will pass out of death into life. Yes, the God of the Bible commands you, he does, he commands you to love him supremely and he commands you to worship him alone. He does. But he doesn't command it because he's afraid that if he doesn't, he'll lose out on the God of the Universe popularity contest. That's not it. Yeah. He commands it because he loves you. And he wants what is best for you. And what is best for you is giving yourself totally over to him. He will satisfy you in a way that all the false gods of the world added together, never can.